Okay, so today is super exciting because I have the honor of interviewing my dear friend, Dr. Allison House. Um, I am in dentistry right now still because of this woman. Uh, it was like five years ago where I was switching companies and I needed like a reason to still care about what was happening in dentistry. And I was getting so disillusioned. And then I met you, and at that time, you were the president of the Arizona Dental Association, and you just gave me, like, such an inspiration to be like, wow, like, dentists are awesome, they rock. So this is awesome that I get to interview you for Innovation in Dentistry. So thank you for joining me, Dr. House. Well, thank you. I'm so honored that you asked me. It's going to be fun. Yeah. So right off the bat, like, I'm so curious. Like, I know so much about your story, but I don't know if everybody does. Um, My main thing here, it's not about clinical innovation. It's not about technological innovation. It's about what is it that gets a dental professional to feel empowered to pioneer positive change and maybe step outside the op and say, hey, you know, dentistry is great. Like dentistry is enough. It's more than enough if you're just a dentist. But for you, like it wasn't. You've done a lot of things legislatively, including, like I just mentioned, being the president of the Arizona Dental Association. And even now, you're on the council in practice at the ADA? Actually, I finished my term. Oh, okay. I did my four-year term at the Council for Dental Practice at the ADA. It was amazing. And, yeah, I could go on and on about that experience. So I want to know, what is it about, like, when did you know that that there was more for you aside from just like being a clinical dentist? So when I graduated from dental school, I should back up. I had two children in dental school, which means that my dental school experience was stressful. In fact, that's like putting it mildly. It was really stressful and for my own doing, my own fault. Um, so when I graduated, I did not feel totally prepared to be a dentist. But, you know, you have that moment where like, I'm a dentist, I'm out there. I got a job. We moved here to Arizona. And the first two years, I worked in seven practices that were all owned by someone other than a dentist. And I couldn't figure out why this was so terrible. I mean, it just it just felt terrible. I was asked to do things that felt unprofessional. And yet you sort of had this thing in the back of your mind where like, well, maybe this is the real world. Maybe dental school was an ivory tower and this is the reality. But it didn't feel good. And I got fired from two of them, which... I'd never been fired from a job my whole life. I got every job that I ever asked for. I, that, was, that was awful. So I started my own practice after all of this nightmare. And I wrote a letter to the board of trustees at the Arizona Dental Association. And, and I'm 26, 27 years old at this time, so I don't really know how this works. But I write them a letter, and I just tell them, I, I'm worried about the state of dentistry. I, I think that this is all bad. I'm not sure. And I listed all the things that had happened to me put it in an envelope, mailed it, no email, mailed it. And I don't know, maybe three months later, somebody reached out to me and said, we're really concerned too. And we had no idea this was going on. So that was the first time. But it took three months for a response. It did take three months for a response. But I mean, there's a lot of bureaucracy. Yep. And at that time, there were probably more because I don't know how many letters they got. Email wasn't quite a thing. It was, it's a long time ago. I had paper charts. (laughs) It was a long time ago. But that was the first time I felt like, oh, 
there is a voice and I have a perspective that's unique. And, and I didn't realize how unique it was because, um, I was a young female dentist. I had two small children. My world was just different than the people that were running the Arizona Dental Association. So I got invited to be part of the new dentist committee and, and then we wrote some legislation about people who own a practice that are not dentists because that was the biggest issue is my license was on the line and yet I had no control over what was happening in that practice. So wait, this is like, so two years in, you write the letter, you get invited to be on the committee. And when you're starting to all of a sudden be part of legislating, is that like, has another year gone by? Are we talking about this is like year two, year three? Um, so I wrote the letter at year two. Um, I started my practice shortly after my own practice, and that was its own set of challenges. Um, so they asked me, I think, 2004 to be um, part of the new dentist committee um, because I had that voice. And I, I got to, and that was really fun. Um, I wrote a, a CE called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. that kind of detailed all the bad things that happened to me and asked for advice. I got a panel of three. It's funny. I call them senior dentists now. They were probably in their 40s. <laughs> three senior dentists and I just asked them questions and they were amazing because they told me, Allison, you're being too hard on yourself or they gave me great advice. And so that, that continues today, that good, bad, and the ugly. They do that a couple times a year. But you just got thrust into like stepping up and leading. Like it wasn't part of your plan when you're what, Birmingham, Alabama. Is that when you were in dental school? That was not part of my plan. Really. I just wanted to survive. Um, I should back up though. My parents, are big leaders. Um, my mom was a part of the Physical Therapy Association, and she and a group of other people wrote the exam for physical therapists across the country to be licensed. She was part of the federation. So my parents were involved in organized physical therapy. So it wasn't, it was probably in me. I just didn't know it. So, I mean, if we fast forward, it's like you, I mean, you and I started our own podcast. What was that? 2019. Oh, so like four years ago. It's been four years. That's crazy um, with the authentic dentist. And again, we named it that because that's who you are. You stand for everything that's authentic about like the way I feel like a dentist should be. Like you're just, you're honest. You, you care about your patients. Um, there's no pretense. And that's what I kept running into with dentists was like this super thick layer of like an ego. And I couldn't find out what was real, you know, cause everyone was just doing great. <laughs> everyone was crushing it. And I think we're taught that in dental school, and they call it professionalism. You put on the white coat, and that's your professional. But then, like, there's two people. There was one at home, and then there was one professionally. And that just doesn't work emotionally. At some point, you've got to, you've got to be the same person everywhere you go. And I, I discovered that I just, I just needed to be me everywhere, in the operatory, at home. And that means moving my professionalism up at home <laughs> and moving my professionalism into a more relatable person. And, of course, I'm still – behave myself in a professional manner at the office, but I still think people need to know I'm human and that I, I understand them. But, but I'm just like, so back, you know, you, you podcast, you're a published author, you lecture, you speak, you know, about ethics nationwide, and then you just finished your time with the ADA. Um, like there's so many things that you've been involved in just outside again of being an amazing clinical dentist. Like, what what are some of the struggles along the way that you encountered? Like, did you have that imposter syndrome or that self-doubt? 
of course. I, I got fired twice. <laughs> and that was devastating. Um, one of the times I got fired because I did some, I stood up for myself and for the patient and said I wouldn't do something that I thought was unethical. And I got fired for it. And my husband was not amused because, you know, we had a mortgage and two kids and student debt. It was bad. It was really bad. So, yeah, there's been lots of struggles. But I think my learning, my takeaway from all of the struggles have been, yes, but I have a voice. And it isn't just me. That took me a while to figure out that these struggles that I'm dealing with, they're not just me. Lots of people have, not everybody, but all of us have struggles. And that's just part of life. And I wanted to have a voice. And that opportunity to change the law here in Arizona so that um, non-dentist owners would be responsible for what happened in the office, I thought that was good. I mean, so I wanted to continue using my voice. Now, that's come up like three times now already. And I think knowing that I've known you for as long as I have, because um, even before we were podcasting, you know, I you'd let me pick your brain about different business ideas. And I so appreciated your perspective. But you keep saying, I had a voice. I got to use my voice. Like, I wonder if even in the next decade, you're going to be able to do something where you lead in such a way that you help others find their voice. Like, like I feel like if there was a book in you, which there are many, and you already have one out there, like, I could see that platform where you're empowering people to find their voice. Because you found your voice pretty early, and I'm sure in navigating, what's been the challenges in navigating, I guess, what your voice has been? I mean, there's always people that don't like it. There's always the haters. And I don't like criticism, just like all dentists. I don't like criticism. I was criticized enough in dental school. But that's something you just kind of have to take, that not everybody's going to agree with you. And also that you're not always right. You know, I, I think something needs to change. But when I bring it up, like at the Council for Dental Practice, the group is like, yeah, but here's what happens if we change that. Like, oh. I mean, I didn't see that that would be a problem. So, yeah, it's it's been a learning curve for me to use that voice in the way I want to. But absolutely, I think my goal in life is that I, I want everyone to be able to speak out and I want dentistry to be great. And that means we have to collectively work together. So I see you as someone that leads, as someone that pioneers. Is that an identity that you have where you've always seen yourself that way? I guess I have, yes. I have a, a strange background where um, my father was an Olympic weightlifting coach um, in addition to be a physical therapist. And so I started lifting weights when I was six years old. And this is a time when girls didn't lift weights. There was a concern that you might get too muscular, which you can't do because I don't have enough testosterone to get muscular. But, I mean, I lifted in the American Open when I was 21 years old of Olympic weightlifting. Um, my undergrad is in math. I, yeah, I've done a lot of things that women typically didn't do back then. So that kind of makes me a pioneer. I don't know. I had two kids in dental school. Nobody would ever done that before. So some of it's my own doing and some of it's, I just got pushed that way. So do you feel like you didn't necessarily fit in with like the conventional dentist being that you had this unique perspective because of your background? I didn't realize it until much later. I just assumed that everyone was like me. And actually, being a woman dentist, I didn't even notice that that was a big deal until I had started practicing. I mean, I knew that there weren't a lot of women in my class, but my class was amazing. They were so supportive of these two kids I had. 
I had, um, there were 60 people in my class. I would say every person in my class held that baby for me. They did. And most of them had never held a baby before. And these are all men in their early 20s that are holding a baby so I can go whack something up or I can do an injection. I mean, my, that was an amazing support system. So I didn't realize that like the whole world wasn't like that. I'm just trying to understand what that time in your life actually looked like. You're probably newly married. Like, you know, not like. Not really. No. <laughs> um, yeah, I got married very, very young. But relatively, like you're still in your first, like what, five to seven years of marriage? Yes. Yes. You have babies, which there's no manual for. And then you're doing, from what I understand, is incredibly challenging. Like dental school, what, what I hear the stories, it's like it tries to get rid of people. I don't know if it tries, but it, it was very challenging. My husband was in law school in Atlanta during, yeah, I had a baby while he was in law school in Atlanta, and I was in dental school in Birmingham, which is probably why I had so much support for my class. Law school is nothing like dental school. I mean, he he was just flabbergasted at how much easier law school is than dental school. It, it's a challenging curriculum. So what came out of that season of your life? Um whether it was identity-wise or mindset-wise, that was like a gift that you got, like maybe that you weren't expecting? I actually wrote this letter to my son recently. Um, he told somebody that he was a mistake that I'd had. And I was like, that's not true at all. Wait, wait, and you'd never heard him say this before? I'd never heard him say that before, and I was devastated by this. So I wrote them this note, and I said, you weren't a mistake. You were an incredible gift that I was given at a time when I didn't know that I needed that gift. And the gift was that I had to overcome challenges that I had never dreamed. Um, I had to ask for help. And I'm, I'm, many of us are not the sort of people that ask for help. I pushed through. I figured out a way all by myself. And at that moment, I had no choice. I had to ask for help. And I asked for a lot of help, and people gave it freely. My, my husband's grandmother came and lived with me for six weeks because Mark was still in Atlanta, well, after J.D. was born, and it was six weeks before he could come over. So she lived with me for six weeks and helped me take care of this baby. My classmates came and picked me up because I had a C-section. I wasn't allowed to drive. Oh, my gosh. They brought me dinner. And, again, these are young men in their early 20s. Somebody brought me dinner for 60 days. <laughs> I mean, it was amazing. I asked for help, and I received it. And that's when I learned that community was important. That was a gift, huge gift. Well, I was going to say, um, I feel like you've always, you've taken that with you through every single season where you've known how to, I don't want to say like rely on, but like use the support system that you have and continue to build out a community. And I think where I've seen most dentists go wrong is where they get isolated. And it is. Dentistry is so isolating. You know, patients, we work in this office where we're the, we're the leader, the owner, and then everyone around us is not a dentist. Sometimes you work with another dentist, but you're not like sitting next to that dentist. It's not like a, a neurosurgery where there's another surgeon in the operatory with you. You're alone. And so we do. We sort of just build these walls where it's just all about you. And I needed a community, and I knew that it was possible. And I knew that if you asked, people want to help. And that was, was a gift. So you were the youngest to be the president of the Arizona Dental Association. Uh, I don't know if that's at the time or still, but... I think it's still. Okay. So that doesn't happen by accident. You find a voice, you're on a committee, and you start liking what? The fact that you know you can enact change? 
I can't always keep my big mouth shut. <laughs> so I got invited to be part of the delegation for the Arizona Dental Association. We have a, a house of delegates. And we were sitting in, we were supposed to approve a budget. And the budget that they handed us, maybe this is 2011, 2010, was ridiculous. I mean, it had like a budget of, it said, staff. And that was one of the line items. And then it was like Western Regional. That was a line item. It wasn't the Western Regional then. That is not a budget. <laughs> so I stood up and said, um, I think we need some more detail before we can approve this budget. And they crucified me. I mean, the people up there were like, well, we'll have to have a special meeting if you want more detail, and it's going to cost another $10,000, and so, no, you can't have this. Well, I mean, I have an undergrad in math. I, I know that this is not okay. <laughs> I know it's not okay, and I just couldn't let it go. So we passed the budget because of all those reasons, but um, somebody called me about a week later and said, hey, you want to be the treasurer? So... I got nominated and became the treasurer um, in like 2012 on the Arizona um, board, not the state, the central board at state level. And yeah, so I jumped over a bunch of things in order to fix that budget, which was a disaster. And I had a lot of help along the way, too. I had lots of people that knew about budgets. There were so many dentists that I called that helped me. But yeah, I, I got to make that change. So. At this point in time, I feel like you're kind of on the fast track. Like there's a reason why you ended up at the ADA on the council, because you kind of had the this ambition of how can I go from Arizona Dental Association type leadership type change and impact to national ADA impact? Where did your, I don't know, where did your dream shift or change? I mean, so you learn. You learn that there are things you can do on the local level in Phoenix. There are things you can do at the state level. And then there's things that cannot be done except at the federal level. So I knew that I wanted to impact change in lots of different ways. And so that's why I kind of went up the ranks. I was the president of Arizona in 2015, and I got things done. There were things I wanted to accomplish, and I did. But some things I wanted to accomplish, I couldn't because it was a federal issue. So. I was on the delegation at the American Dental Association, and I was asked to be on this council for dental practice. That was incredible. It was a four-year term, and that's when you start to affect the entire country. And again, it was interesting because I'd say, well, we need to do this, and they'd be like, that's a state issue. <sighs> so frustrating. I was just at the state. I now the state. now I'm here. <laughs> so, yeah, there's all this bureaucracy, and it's just the way it is. I mean, this is just politics. So there are things you can get done. And then there's things you're like, no, we need to do it at the federal level. You come back to the state. No, we can't do that here. So you're stuck. So that's when I talked to you and we started thinking, well, we'll, we'll just affect change. And so we did that podcast. And I love our podcast because I do think that's part of how you affect change is that you have to get collaboration. Everyone in the dental community needs to say, hey, this needs to change. It's not going to be just... 17 of us up at the ADA making a change. I love that because that just empowers, that's a message that empowers everybody instead of simply the people that are delegated to lead. Like, well, no, everyone has a role to play. Everyone has a voice and a contribution. Um, and I, I don't know. I just, it's so neat to see the way that I feel like you've been true to yourself in, in following the opportunities as they present themselves and then not shirking back 
Like, at what point were you, I don't know, tell me about a story where there was some self-doubt and how you overcame that. Oh my goodness, there are so many. Um, I think one of the first ones was my first malpractice issue. Um, I, I think it was maybe 11 years ago. And I seated a crown. I seated two crowns on number eight and number nine, the front two teeth. And one of them broke like three months later, like broke off at the gum line. And this patient was, she was not a nice patient. And I was devastated for her because cosmetics were so important to her. And I felt terrible. She was ticked. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So, I mean, I called the surgeon. I had a prosthodontist. I paid them to fix the problem. She had to have an implant. And when they took the tooth out, they said, you know, it was fractured all the way down. There was nothing that I could have done. If I had a cone beam at the time, I would have known that. But, you know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Anyway, but I'm walking through this, and she's suing me for like $20,000, which is not what it costs to do the one implant. But, yeah, I was devastated. And, I mean, I felt, yeah, I just felt like I wasn't going to be able to survive this. And so I called the Arizona Dental Association and I said, is there somebody that's gone through this? And apparently there's a whole council that dentists supporting dentists. And this 91-year-old man who was running the council at the time met with me and talked to me off the ledge. And he said, this is what you do. Told me, call a lawyer, you have something written down, hand it to her and say, this is my best offer and it's final. And it worked. She signed it. It was over. <laughs> it was over in like an hour. But that support was huge. And, and yeah, I think I can breathe again. And it's, I mean, there was no malpractice. There's no board complaints. That will happen at some point in my life. It's inevitable. But I have a little more strength to go through it. You know, you go through terrible things and then you get more strength. So have you ever felt like the spotlight's too bright? Like when it comes to, you know, maybe a first lecture that you did or the first time you found yourself on, on a bigger stage or like, I don't know. I feel like there is such a, I can do this, like so much self-confidence and and strength. But I don't know. That's just that's what that's just what I see. Like, is that is that always how it's been? I'm going to say that when I get on the stage, I feel like what I'm doing is important. It isn't really about me as much. I mean, I want to do a good job and and I do. I mean, I, I like the credentials and the that makes me feel good. But it's not really about me. If I have the opportunity to tell somebody something that makes them feel better and not feel suicidal and not know that they're alone, then it's okay. It's okay if, you know, somebody says something about my hair or that I'm fat today or, you know, whatever. Because I do feel like there's a couple people in that audience that I impacted. And that's what it's about. So I've kind of gotten over some of that. I'm still a girl. There's still things that bother me and I feel uncomfortable with. But this this is my job. This is this is what I've been sent here to do, and I do. I want to help people. I think that's amazing because as I've researched, like the highest performers in any industry, that's exactly what keeps them going and allows them to perform at their best. Is that they their why, like the impact that they're making and who it's for, like tr- transcends or is just more powerful than their own fears and awareness of where they might not be enough. <laughs> Because it, I, I'm not enough. It's I'm not. But my message is important, and I think it helps people. Well, you are enough. You're not perfect. I am not perfect. Oh, I really want to be, but I'm just not. <laughs> so in this journey, like where you're at, 
I don't know. There's probably some sense of fulfillment in it. But during this journey of the last, what, 15, 20 years, what mindset did you have to shed in order for you to be where you're at? I think it's the same thing that all dentists, that, that isolation, that all these issues are just me. Um, and, and some of them are, but most of them are just global. Everybody is dealing with this. Difficult patients that hate us for no reason, um, staff that's turning over, all of those things you feel like are about you. And some of it is a maturing for you, but it's also, it's everyone. Everyone is dealing with something. What is it? Everyone has a story you don't know about. And you have to remember that when they walk in. When somebody's angry and yelling at you, a lot of times the story isn't even about you. It's something about them. So I I try and remember that. And I feel like you even take that into how you lead your team, you know, with the the habitudes that you do. Um, I don't know. I'm just so inspired by the way that you you do connect with your team. You do get that buy-in. I mean, the culture in your practice, it's like everyone would, like they have your back. They do. I have a phenomenal team. I would love to take all the credit for it, but I don't get to. I mean, the people that are there are, they're just phenomenal people. I was a terrible leader when I first started my practice because, you know, no, I'd have not a one business class in my entire life. Um, I couldn't read a P&L. I didn't know how to bill insurance. I mean, I was a terrible leader. I would fire people. I would hire people. I would tell them to do something I'd set expectations and not mention it to them. I mean, I was a terrible leader. So you were probably like every other dentist that had no clue. We have no training on this. So it it took me a little while to look in the mirror and go, oh, this is my fault. This isn't them. This is me. And when I became a better leader, then all of a sudden they wanted to be good and they became good too. So that was a... That was a mirroring thing. And so whenever I discover there's a problem in my practice, I have to look in the mirror and go, okay, what is it that I'm doing? In fact, this happened to me yesterday. Um, I noticed that the lab cases were not going well. Like the lab would send me something that I didn't want, or I'd have a case that didn't go right because something was wrong. And I would ask my assistant and she's like, "Um, no, we didn't write that on the lab slip. Okay. Why? Oh, because it was just in my brain. I didn't mention it to her. We didn't mention it to the lab. So then I got back something that I didn't want. That was my fault. And it, it, the terrible thing is that she could read my mind most of the time, but not always. So what I learned is I just I made a system where I can put, take some of that out of my brain that I expect everyone else to know and write it down. And that it'll have to be modified and adapted. But a lot of times that's the problem. When something's happening, it's because I'm not communicating what it is that I need. Well, that's what's what's so fascinating about you, Dr. House, is that on the personal level with, you know, self-transformation, it's like you continue to level up and you're like committed to just continuing to make yourself better, everyone around you better. But then you also have such a unique perspective because you've been on, again, the Council of ADA. So you have an idea of where dentistry in a macro sense is going in some of its struggles. I'm curious to hear your perspective just on that. The whole idea of like, be the change you want to see. Um, in what ways do you think dentistry is changing over the next decade? What I wanted when I joined the Arizona Dental Association in 2002, I wanted us to have a marketing campaign. And I wanted us to have a marketing campaign that made oral health important. And nobody wants to do that. But I still feel like that is the change that we need that somehow 
patients need to understand and value what we do in a way that they don't right now. They don't understand that what we do is complicated. It's much more like building a house than than just putting a nail in the wall. You know, it's it, there's a lot more to it. And I really wish that we could do some kind of marketing because I think that what we're dealing with in dentistry right now is we feel very undervalued. Um, our hygienists have asked for huge raises, and they deserve it. I mean, I, I, they totally deserve it. Unfortunately, because of what insurance limits, what we pay them, and we pay we get paid less for a cleaning, a dental hygiene cleaning, than I pay for my hair. I mean, it's it's unreasonable. But that means that, like, they can't get a raise because the, the numbers don't work. So there's a, this devaluing of us financially, and I think that there's an entitlement situation with some patients that's hard for us. And I wish that would be what I would want. If, if I could change anything, it would be that patients understood what we do and, and the value that we bring to them. I think that's really well put. Um, and instead of saying we just need to educate them, I love that you're like, well, it's a marketing campaign. Like that's how you, that's how well, you educate. You've taught me about branding and marketing. I've learned a ton from you too in this for your relationship. <laughs> My practice has really grown because those are things that I didn't understand. I didn't go to business school. I just thought I'll do a really good job and everyone will like me. And they'll give me good reviews, which they don't. They just send me cards and flowers, which is very nice, but there's no reviews. You are the one who taught me, oh, you need like a social media presence and you need to do all these things. So I've learned a lot. And and again, I try and share that with other people. So in the spirit of honor, who in the industry would you honor as an innovator? That you, that you just like to, again, bring attention to, to their name or, or what they're doing? I mean, Duco is the first person that comes to mind. Um, he's in Texas and he is currently the president of Texas, although he might have gone out last week. He's, um, yeah, he is really an innovator. He thinks outside the box and he was on the council for dental practice with me. And unfortunately, because of our ages, both of us are in our late forties, early fifties. There's no way that we can go on the board of trustees at the ADA. There's a huge opportunity for change there and we do need some young blood there. But I don't have that kind of time in my schedule as a solo practitioner. I, I can't do it. He can't do it. Most young people can't do it. But he he's an up-and-comer. So for someone that wants to get involved, would you recommend them, like, are there paths to go straight at starting at the ADA, or do you recommend starting locally? I, I think you can start anywhere. You learn. Um, locally is probably easier because it's nice to know people in your community. You get to know people around you. It's been wonderful to have somebody call when something goes wrong. I'll call Rob Rhoda, who's another innovator, and say, hey, there's a problem. Can you help me? <laughs> or Gary Jones. Or, I mean, I have a whole community of people in Phoenix that I can call and ask questions. Michael Thompson. Oh, my gosh, the list just goes on and on. So locally is important. I would probably start locally. How did you get so connected to your local community? Like, is that through all of a sudden? the letter and next thing you know you get introduced to this this community of people that are uh advocates that are actually you know very high on executing and you know like is that because all of a sudden like you're surrounded by so many amazing people and i don't I don't feel like that's just a common thing i think some people still kind of stay in their lane and maybe that fits for them but not for you i guess i've never stayed in my lane or colored within the lines or 
I'm always doing something different. But yeah, I think I was on that new dentist committee. I asked three senior dentists to come and talk. I just asked questions and people kept answering or calling me or inviting me to do something. So yeah, I got to meet lots and lots of people. And I think sometimes we we do paint this brush like, oh, they're just this huge, like Emily Latran. You and I both know her. She's lovely. She's this little tiny person, but she seems like this colossal thing that you couldn't talk to. But everyone is a person. Everyone has a story. And once you get to the humanity of people, we're all very much alike. What do you feel like is like a limiting belief that affects dentists probably in the first five or ten years of practice? You're not enough. I think we do a lot of that. And then um, I think we get beat down in a lot of ways. And then if you don't think that you're, you don't have that imposter syndrome and you think that you're of all that, yeah, then you get smacked really hard with a lawsuit or something. So brings you down. So in your growth journey, you are still like right at your prime. You know, like we're not talking about for bodybuilding or weightlifting. No, there will be no more of that really. (laughs) But when it comes to influence, when it comes to impact, like you're going to be going probably for another, I don't know, 15, 20 years. I'm 49. Um, I'm thinking 15 years probably. Okay. So in the next 15 years, what is a mindset that you believe that you're going to have to embrace to get to where you want to go that maybe you're still either working on or, or I don't want to say struggling with, but still in, in the tension of implementing or I don't know. The reality is that most practices need to be group practices. Um, it's very, our equipment is getting so expensive to work by yourself. Um, means that you you have trouble with with paying the bills, and so I really need to bring an associate in. And yet I've watched my husband bring four associates in, and it's a lot of work, a lot of time. You can't just bring somebody in and just hand them a drill. It doesn't work that way. You've got to mentor them, and our young dentists need that. They desperately need mentoring. But for me to actually do that one on one in my office every day, that sounds scary. So I haven't done it yet. Now, is that on like a model side, like where you'd like to know more of the specifics, or is that on the actual practicality of actually the energy to, to mentor, to be okay with mistakes and learning? Like which side, which part of that do you feel like is going to be more of a challenge? I'm actually okay with the mistakes and learning because, I mean, we've all been there. That's the way it is. It's it's the time and energy. I've, I have all these other projects, as you've seen with the book, the podcast, the speaking. And so to bring in something else is going to take my time and energy. That I'm concerned about, and I would hate to fail somebody. Is there anything you're doing right now that you would like to bring attention to um, or something that you're working on that you'd just like our listeners to know about? Although I don't think we've officially said that we have our podcast is called The Authentic Dentist Podcast. <laughs> you know, I think of all the things, that's one of the things I'm most proud of is that podcast. We're very honest. We talk about lots of challenges that we have. and. I think it helps people. And I've noticed that people who are not in dentistry learn a lot from it too. I'll have people, I have patients that are texting me, oh, I really liked what you said the other day. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I've got patients listening to this. But I, I do think it impacts people and I'm hoping that it will live on. If someone wants to get a hold of you to find out how they can either get involved or simply because they'd like to get your perspective on something, what's the best way for someone to reach you? I mean, I want to say email, but the problem is that I upped my filter <laughs> because after all the the shutdowns with um, technology, I'm nervous about somebody emailing me. So probably text me. Uh, what about 
just your Facebook page. Oh, yeah. You can get a hold of me on my Facebook page. Which is? Allison House. Or is it House Dental? <laughs> There's House Dental, too, but I don't check them as much. Okay. My Allison House is the one I'm really active with. All right. So this is this is a thing I'm always fascinated by. Um, you graduate dental school at how old? Uh, 26. Okay. So Allison of today is walking by Allison of 26. And you have one sentiment that you can express and share to her. What would that be? I mean, just don't give up. Keep going. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. There was a lot of moments at 26 where I was like, this is not going to be okay. I don't know what I'm going to do next. Just persevere. That that, that <laughs> is awesome. I love that it has to do with actually not giving up because dentistry is just hard. It's just hard. And and I don't know if there's any other way to – I don't think there's any other way to practice. I think what we do is hard. There's a lot of pieces to it, and the humanity piece is really hard to deal with, and we're not taught that one. It's hard, and I think it's the greatest. You know, it's people don't like this when I say it, but it's a puzzle. Somebody come with me with a puzzle, and when I finish the puzzle and put it all together, I'm so excited. It's just the most amazing feeling in the world that I did this. You love it. It functions. You look great. I'm so proud. Well, Allison, um, I'm super excited about the book that you're working on right now. Um, and We're I, working on Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And I'm excited about that book that I think is also in you um, or that course or whatever that is all about how you can help someone find their voice. Because I think that was really transformative. You realizing, wow, I have a voice. I have the ability to change, to lead, to make an impact. And I don't think that's for everybody, but a young dentist that has a similar DNA, I think would get really empowered because there's so many lessons you've learned along the way of when to speak, how to speak, how to share your voice in a way that has more impact. And I think that would really, really greatly impact dentistry. Thank you. But I just want to say thank you for letting me interview you today. Uh, It's just been an honor. So thank you. Thank you.